without fail whenever i see a book bearing the title fantastic four i inevitably flash back to my earliest days as a comic book connoisseur the very first book as i discussed here before on this very forum the very first book i ever picked up was an issue of the fantastic four and we're going to be looking at another issue of the fantastic four today as we tick back the clock to Probably, I don't know, what, two decades before, before Remzo was born at this point? We're going to be looking at an issue of Fantastic Four from 1980. I was only one, so you really know Remzo was a twinkle. But speaking of the twinkle himself, as always, I have my partner in comic book crime here, Remzo W. Martinez, on this latest episode of Second Print Comics. What's up, Remzo? You know, a lot of the comics I own are actually older than I am. You know how old I felt when I purchased my oldest comic, which is... uh. Avengers issue five from 1966 uh, written by Stan Lee drawn by Jack Kirby featured the first appearance of Baron Zemo and the masters of evil. How much did that puppy go for? It was in, it was in less, it was in poor condition. So less than fair. I think that's at the bottom of the thing. So I only paid $27 for it, but um, for a poor condition comic for a poor condition comic. (laughs) And, and that's your most expensive comic to this day? Oh, no. I have way more expensive stuff <laughs> okay, than that. I'm, I'm a first appearance Black Panther, which is, uh, which is a few hundred, but I got it. I, I, I got just think it, it would be hilarious if your, if your number one comic was this like ripped half to shreds piece of shit Avengers number five that it, you it framed is, on your wall. It is one of my most prized possessions, and uh, I, I feel horrible saying this out loud. I don't quite know where it is. There's some comics that oh, no, in, in, in the process of moving around and repackaging and reorganizing because I got rid of a few thousand comic books within the past year. Uh, and I, I don't mean that sarcastically. I got rid of a few thousand comic books over the past year. Uh, a lot of stuff has just come and gone. But what I do know is that unless I remember explicitly selling it or giving it away, it's always somewhere. It's just a matter of where it's going to pop up and when it's going to pop up. It's like a surprise every time. It's like a Kinder Egg. You know, sometimes you get what you're looking for. Sometimes you just get a Kinder Egg. <laughs> what is a Kinder Egg? You don't, I don't know, know that? that is. Holy no. shit. That's from your generation. Well, I would inform it's, a, it's a chocolate Easter egg, but it's sold year round. So it's a chocolate egg, but on the inside, like a Cadbury is a, egg. It's no, because a Cadbury egg is filled with like caramel and stuff. It's a hollow. Oh. It's a hollow egg made of chocolate, but on the inside is a prize. It's like a cracker jack. Oh, like a fucking McDonald's Happy Meal shitty price yeah except you like a it, fucking toy lawnmower so you can pretend to you know mow your lawn something that's like that's that, that but, fun when but you're 10. fits in a small egg so you can get like pieces to a bicycle or something anyway in 20 in 20 yeah, if i'm gonna eat a chocolate egg i want creamy fucking deliciousness inside that's what i want I give want, me the cream ramzo i wanted <laughs> i wanted the toy and, and i think in like 2013 uh, enough kids had like choked think, on it because they I were think like this is like a, a psychological profile are you a toy guy or a cream guy <laughs> i think everybody inside everyone there are two two ten year olds <laughs> one that wants a toy one that wants the toy yeah we've already gone too far yeah it's getting very freudian yeah yeah anyway what, what were we talking about comics you like fantastic four a lot we know fantastic that much four. that's right well speaking of the fantastic four did you know that there's a new number one coming pretty soon for the fantastic four is it a new number one or is it a new limited series because i know there's that oh God, new, don't make it a limited series again I, I know that they're doing uh alex ross is doing one Yes, that's the one I'm referring to. Is that a limited series? It's called it's Fantastic Four. Well, it's called Fantastic Four, and it's and the issue is called subtitle. Fantastic Four number one. I don't believe there's a sub- subtitle in this one. Open the first but, uh, page. Well, this is not the book. This is the previews. Oh, is that the because previews? This is all my way to segue into the fact that for the first time in... I don't even know how many years, a lot of years. I now have a local comic book shop, not just that I can frequent or regular, but I actually have an active pull list now. Woo! Now it's a small pull list. It is a small one. It's still a pull but list. I figured, 
I figured if I'm going to be paying for comics, as you've kind of suggested before, I may as well be getting the physical fucking deals because they're the same price. So I transferred the very few digital subscriptions that I have over to my brand new comic shop. It's called Read More Comics in my new hometown of Brandon, Florida. Uh, And believe it or not, there's actually a comic convention, not just in Tampa, in my town, my much smaller town just outside of Tampa uh, next month, a real live comic book convention. So I'm very excited. The world is healing. The world is healing, indeed. The world is healing. Um, And this is a nice little segue into the fact that, of course, every single Friday, you can hear the SPC newsroom, myself and Remzo, dipping out of our normal format here on Wednesdays where we look at an older story of some kind from uh, my past, Remzo's past, and we look at something modern. And uh, this Wednesday, this Wednesday, see, it's like my issues episodes. This Friday in the newsroom, we're going to be looking at previews for DC and Marvel for this November. Why? Because I picked up the preview. Remember, I, I think this is before your time. I'm not sure. Now that now DC and Marvel put out their own, but were you around when previews still existed? Its own book, which had every comic from every company that was ever going to come out. Not only that, but I also used to collect towards the final year of their uh, young life, a uh, wizard magazine. Well, of course, I, I I have very old issues of Wizard at my uh, in the stash. You might say Wizard so I'm wondering was so if, cool. Are those worth money? Old Wizards? No, other than uh, sentimental I, value. I have really old ones. Okay, well, I guess I'll keep them for that. Nonetheless, though, but I did grab these preview. I guess the, the companies do their own previews now. So DC and Marvel put out their own our own situations because previews the magazine. The I mean, this is like a phone book every month that I would get from my comic were shop. They in, and it would were they in black and white? Yeah, they're in black yeah. and white. Yeah, that's old school right there. Mm-hmm. This is my time, Remzo. But now Marvel and DC print their own color preview editions. So uh, this Friday, Remzo and I are going to look ahead at some of the things that, well, you don't have these in, in these copies. So I'm just going to tell you what I think is interesting I, I from did, these previews. I did pick up a copy. I finally went to, oh, I finally oh, went to my stash. What's wow. funny is like I, apparently there are only two Martinez's there, and the other Martinez who has a poll list collects. Like, is also a, a, a Puerto Rican uh, online. I don't know. They, they almost gave me his box because it had like 70 comics and a whole bunch of titles i don't i don't read like he's really he's really into green lantern and harley quinn so they pull it out and hey, it's like a hundred you gotta comics. meet this other martinez because the kind of guy that gets 70 comics in his pull list is the kind of guy that's gonna have a high pledge level on a on a, on a comic book podcast i'm, I'm gonna which, start course, stalking him <laughs> this is all a segue into how you can also have a high pledge level or a low pledge level as little as five dollars a month you can support us on patreon at patreon.com slash second print pod where you get all sorts of bonuses including early episodes of the one the episode you're listening to right now early releases of the newsroom so you don't you'll probably get them wednesday or thursday instead of friday and all sorts of bonus content like remzo versus now versus the dceu he's already tackled the mcu in a couple phases remzo is battling the dceu telling us what he would change i am diving through what mark missed i think i'm going to take the suggestion based on what you told me about firefly on last week's newsroom and the suggestion of our good patron, Paul, one of our, our top, top patrons. Oh, and Justin also started attacking you on that. Yeah, I got I got hit from multiple angles here. I am committing right now. I'm going to say it on air. I'm going to watch Firefly, and I'm going to do what Mark missed episodes about Firefly episodes. You know why, <laughs> Remzo? So I know that I'm talking about episodes. I don't have to worry about the issues episodes things. That's why. So I'm going to do it. Nice. It's the next project. I'm putting everything else on hold. Yeah, but yeah, back back to it. This other Martinez collected all these books, and I looked at the guy at the cash register, and I was like, "That's not me. I only I only pull like five books from you guys." So he was like, "Oh, I didn't. I, it must have happened when I wasn't here. I didn't know there was more than one Martinez." And then I said, "Well, there's usually at least three of us," and uh, he didn't get the joke. But yeah, no, I have to find my cosmic twin in comic book brotherdom. Yeah, and get him to uh, give us money. Uh, Remzo, just since we're already talking about this, why don't we compare Polis real quick? What's on yours? I don't have that many on mine. Oh, man. Let me get a couple of them. uh, One second. My headsets fell out as I did the great stretch stretch of victory. Uh, I broke a rule, Mark. I broke a rule because I didn't know it at the time, but there's a new Human Target series out. It's a DC Black Label. I did not know until I bought it, but these are written by Tom King. And here at SPC, we have a very <laughs> anti anti buy anything from Tom King rule. So I you're allowed to read him. You're just not allowed to pay money. Well, I, I I messed That's up cool. because his name was not very visible. I just saw Human Target and DC Black Label and thought this should be awesome. We went ahead and 
uh, picked up Public Domain, issue two and three. Batman 126, as we talked about last week, freaking awesome. Uh, and then one I've really been looking forward to, which I think might uh, make it for uh, September's book of the month, but Young Hellboy. Young Hellboy is a four-issue limited series. Picked up issue one. It's funny. It's cool. It's got that uh, Mike Is this Mignola, or is he farming this is Mignola. it off? Yeah, he, he's it's still, all Mignola. He's still, uh, he's still doing right. the writing for all the Hellboy books, including Hellboy and the BPRD 1957. This which has is to really, go on my pull list, too, then. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, he doesn't do the artwork, but he brings on artists. Like, for the other one, he brought on uh, Chris Robertson for uh, Hellboy and the BPRD 1957. And then he brought... Uh, Thomas uh, Snagoski for Hellboy, uh, Young Hellboy issue one, and he's doing the full limited series, which is four issues. They're all really good artists. They don't go off and do much of their own thing. They keep with a Magnola style, but it feels fresh in a way. I'm actually really impressed with them because it's one thing to try and completely look like another artist is another thing to really distort the renderings and go on a crazy tangent sometimes sometimes it's better sometimes it's worse but these guys are really good a good middle ground like i they're they're really awesome and i've been collecting a, a lot of the hellboy comics for a couple of months now and uh, i'm i'm really impressed so that's why i added hellboy to my poll list so that's uh that's it for for this uh for this month's um, quick drive by at the stash You know, Remzo, I've read a lot of Hellboy in my day, but I'm pretty sure almost all of the Hellboy that I have read is all more than 15 years ago. I I don't have that much of the the latest stuff, so maybe that's a good place for me to dive back in. I think uh, so, yeah. And a lot of these are one-shots, because in case you didn't know, Hellboy has been in hell for the longest time, and Hellboy has a definitive end. So what they're doing is they're looking at his long life and covering the 50s. And in this case of young Hellboy, they're covering a story from his childhood. So what they were able to do was they were able to produce brand new, fresh Hellboy stories that are time displaced because it's taking back way, way earlier. So some of it echoes of a lot of the Hellboy books that we have covered on this show. And other stuff just feels really cool. And, uh, you know, I, I like Hellboy in the 50s. It's, it feels different. It's got more of that sci-fi era noir horror pulp vibe. I, I'm really digging it. Oh, that's a cool thing about the, I mean, not to get on 22 tangents before we get dive into today's episode, but about Magnolia's kind of Hellboy universe or just anyone that really has their own little sandbox to play in. But I think specifically with his, um, it started off with a rich backstory that the reader didn't know about. We talked about this in our very first Hellboy uh, episode. You know, he, he you start off hot and learning about this character, but even when you're first learning about the character, when it first came out, and I think the late 90s, there was already 40, 50 years of rich history behind it. So no matter what happens to the, the sort of like current timeline Hellboy, you always have that 40 to 50 year history that you can just dive into and have a whole sandbox to play around with. So this this is a, a you know, a character in a series that's going to have a long life as long as Mike Mignolo wants wants to keep bringing it back up and bringing it back up. Um, I can't think of a good segue. So I'm just going to say back to our, back to our topic at hand. So I've been doing, and by been doing, I mean, I did one episode so far of a new Patreon only show, the case of the runs. Why have only done one episode? Because, because the premise of the show is that I read like 50 freaking issues of a comic before I do the episode. So I read all of Scott Snyder's Justice League, including metal and death metal and Dark Knights, everything metal related, uh, <laughs> including uh, as a little bow around Scott Snyder's Justice League run. But then I decided, all right, as, as I've discussed, you know, Fantastic Four is one of my favorite comic comic is. Well, I don't know if it's one of my favorite, but it's it's my most nostalgic. Let's put it that way. Uh, so I, I always have a soft spot for FF and I've read a lot of the great one runs, but I've never now I've read portions of it, but I've never outright read it beginning to end the John Byrne run because John Byrne does take over not just the writing, but also at one point here, the art art of um, the Fantastic Four series and has a really long run. And so I, I recently decided, you know what, I'm going to dive into that run from the very beginning and it wasn't more than i think three issues into that run the issue we're going to talk about today that i just said to myself we need to do an spc about this issue because well because you're going to find out why because because i i really found it interesting on several different levels and i really 
Now I can't really say much more about it without getting into it. So why don't we just Let's skip the formalities in. 14 minutes into this podcast and get right the fuck into it. Uh, before I do so, Remzo, I know we've talked about it before for newer listeners, for me who just doesn't really remember what is your own personal history with the fantastic four. Do you have, obviously you couldn't have the same level of affinity as I have, but how much exposure to the FF do you have? Uh, have you ever gone back and read the older stuff or is it more just like, you know, you know, whatever kind of has come across your path in your, in your normal concreting? Well, I, I remember watching at around like 6 a.m. the 1960s Fantastic Four cartoon before going to school way yonder back. But I started collecting the comics in around 2005, 2006. I wasn't reading the mainline mainstream Fantastic Four comics, though. Uh, as I've mentioned in the past, I'm a product of the Ultimate Comics, uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, Ultimate X-Men, the Ultimates. And my intro in was Ultimate Fantastic Four. They were younger. They were more modern. I felt like it was easier for me to jump in to a comic that was in the low teens at the side instead of like issue 500 something. It also seemed that a lot of the campy elements I think had been thrown into the Fantastic Four over the years. They they were kind of removed in the Ultimate run. So by reading the Ultimates, that's what got me into reading comics and understanding more of the universes. And then around uh, 2007, when when the Black Panther and Storm joined uh, the Fantastic Four after uh, Marvel's Civil War, in which Reed and Sue went on a, a long vacation to try and rekindle their marriage, that's when I started jumping in. And I've been a, a pretty steady Fantastic Four hands, uh, Fantastic Four fan since. There was that period, though, where right when I was... Fantastic Fourhand. Four I think yeah. that's, the, uh, uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's my finishing maneuver. My uh, <laughs> the Fantastic Fourhand. Uh, I, I started collecting the Fantastic Four around 2012-2013, but ironically, that was around the same time that they killed the Human Torch, and then for some, Again. and then for some god awful reason, they brought him back. And just when they were going to start doing the whole Future Foundation stuff, they canceled the Fantastic Four and completely almost removed them from the Marvel Universe because of the film rights and toy dispute with uh, Fox Studios at the time. So in order to punish them, they were putting out less uh, less X-Men content, and they were also putting out way less uh, Fantastic Four content, particularly around 2015 when the Josh Trent reboot was taken out. So right when I'm really getting into collecting the regular uh, mainstay FF comics, uh, they decided to stop printing them. And I was just like, what the hell? So... You know, I, I've got. Uh, I feel like I've I've always I'm always catching up on stuff from way before I was collecting because ever since they brought them back and everything, now it just hasn't it hasn't felt the same. I felt kind of gypped, and I'm not. You know, I, I don't I don't carry the fire for them I once had to put my money towards them. But you know, as as characters, as stories, who doesn't who can be a Marvel fan and not have have the Fantastic Four in such high regard? Well, speaking of carrying the fire, we're going to be carrying some fire today because this is not just a Fantastic Four story. It is a it's a human torch story. This is a little episode, Ramzo, that I'm going to call Human Torch Private Eye. Johnny Storm Private Eye, depending on which one you want to use. Uh, but speaking of, before we dive in, you did mention the ultimate Fantastic Four. I would be remiss if I did not mention my own dive reading every single episode. Damn it, I did Damn it again. It. Every single issue, reading every single issue of the Ultimate Fantastic Four. I did that for the patrons of this podcast on a little show called What Mark Missed. I went through every single issue of that series and a couple weird miniseries that came after. So if you're curious about the Ultimate Fantastic Four, not curious enough to open up the Marvel Unlimited app and read it, well, five bucks gets you the whole archive, gets you my entire opinion on the entire freaking run. And, um, no spoilers. I'm not going to talk about it here. Instead, I'm going to talk about this issue, Fantastic Four, number 233, from August of 1981. My God, I'm not even sure. Maybe I just started. I was about one year old, almost exactly. So maybe I was crawling around, walking. I don't really know. But I was doing something. I wasn't reading these comics. I will tell you that. This one, as I mentioned earlier, written and drawn by the great John Byrne. And we start off 
by getting a little introduction to a place called Deedon State Correctional Facility. Probably get way too many panels teaching us a little bit more about Deedon Correctional Facility. The way to sum it up, it's just not a place you want to go. And we do meet a fellow named George David Munson. He is on death row, and we kind of see him in his cell waiting to be taken, waiting to be put to death as the preacher comes along, and you know, they have a little chat, and this guy has been professing his innocence um, like left and right as, you know, as people people in jail that are about to be put to death often might do at least they do in comics and movies he is professing his innocence and even the preach even this priest is kind of like come now davy we've been through all this a thousand times there's nothing more that can be done and to continue protesting your innocence i don't know why i made him southern i'm pretty sure this takes place uh, in new york city as all of these fantastic four related stories do um but basically this guy george He's like, yeah, yeah, I know. You're going to put me to death, but Father, if you could do one thing for me, if you could just deliver... And we get a pretty gruesome, by the way, description of this guy being electrocuted, and we see a horrified face of this this um, this priest and this warden um, as this guy's electrocuted. But we do see the handed to this preacher was a letter addressed only to the Human Torch. He doesn't even have a real name there. The Human Torch to the Baxter Building in New York. No, no, there is no numbers here. There is no postal code. It just says, bring it to this guy at this place, and we hope you'll figure it out. But it's, it's not the post office, I guess. He's just trusting the pastor to, to bring it there. Um, and then we continue into New York City. We go to the Baxter Building where uh, we do see this preacher. He is very surprisingly very little security at the Baxter Building. He just walks right in, uh, goes to the elevator that has the big four on it, which is how you know it goes up to the Fantastic Four suite, I guess. And before he knows it, he's in this elevator alone. He's thinking, man, I can't believe how easy security is. And suddenly he finds himself alone in an elevator with Sue Richards. I guess Sue was just waiting there invisible for, and that's their security, I guess is, is, is just Sue standing around invisible. I mean, what does Sue really do for the team? (laughs) Stands around invisible. And then in the nineties gets a much sexier outfit. We're not going to talk about that today. Or will we? Maybe we will. I don't know. What is your opinion? Yes, we will. What is your opinion on the ninety on the ninety sexy Sue uh, four outfit? With I, the I did. A, I did an episode while you were out fighting alligators a few weeks ago called 10 Dumb Ideas Made oh, Towards Popular that. right. Characters," yes. and I was just like, you know, it's just it's there. You have to accept it. It's dumb. It's funny. It's stupid. It it makes the stories a little more interesting. I mean, it's it happened. And we have it's to accept very it. It's very 90s. That's yes. really the only way to sum it up. You can't judge it morally as a, as a good or an evil. It's just 90s. And that's all it is. Um, but we continue through the Fantastic Four security. And we see that uh, Reed and uh, this father, who's named Father Albert Vito, they're getting like a, a total recall, full body scan here. Uh, Reed... Reed's kind of ahead of his time as, for, as far as intrusive uh, body scanning searches go. He was doing this... 20 years before TSA even had a, a twinkle in their eye about, about doing this to the American public. And uh, as uh, she, you know, she, he's been really polite. You know, he's like, hey, look, I'm just a, I'm just a, I'm just a preacher who has a note to deliver here. And and so Sue's like, OK, we you know, Reed does some tests. And, and not only does he determine, yes, this is just a normal guy who has no weapons, but that is actually my wife, Sue Richards. That is not some other person posing as her. So Reed, as usual, is running all the tests. That's really what the security is. Which really makes me wonder, who's doing this when they're all out, like, fighting an adventure or battling Galactus or, or what have you? Because it really seems like the, the security is just Sue being invisible and Reed manning the controls and scanning everybody. So I'm not sure who actually handles this job when they're away in the cosmos. Herbie. Who? Herbie. Oh, the robot. Yeah. <laughs> of course it's Herbie. I almost forgot about the robot. Uh, well done. Good Herbie reference. Um, so as they enter the the Baxter suite, the Fantastic Four suite, what's happening, Remzo? I'll give you one guess what's happening. What's always fucking happening when you enter the Fantastic Four's hideaway? The thing is trying to smash Johnny Storm because Johnny Storm has been some kind of prick in some way or another probably, and the thing being a rageaholic has overreacted in some way now. Um, this really made me laugh. What What Johnny said that he did that made the thing angry what he did was he put a picture of Christopher Reeve Superman. He doesn't say Superman though, because I guess we don't want to like acknowledge DC, but we kind of do. He says he puts a picture of Christopher Reeve over the bathroom, over the things bathroom mirror, which with a note that says, this is what superheroes should really look like. What do you think of Johnny's 
prank on on the thing and his choice of of Christopher Reeve. So I guess so I guess that's kind of mean spirited. Kinda, no shit. It's very mean spirited, and so I guess this means that Christopher Reeve as Superman is canon to Marvel Comics. Dave Letter- Dave Letterman is too. Dave Letterman is okay. And Saddam in the MCU, Megan the Stallion. Too. Are we just naming everyone? This? Yeah, <laughs> Megan the Stallion is as well. Uh, you Not can hear so Remzo and I's. You can hear Remzo and I's opinion on Megan the Stallion being canon to the MCU on our She-Hulk reviews, which you can find not here, but just behind that old paywall, patreon.com slash secondprintpod. Uh, nonetheless, yes, the thing is very unhappy uh, about being reminded that he is a giant, ugly rock monster, albeit one with super strength. He is still uh, a giant. And this is really the crux of of the conflicts, the constant conflicts between Ben Grimm, the thing and Johnny storm uh, at the end of the day, although they, they don't always dive into it in at this deep of a level, but I'm going to, at the end of the day, thing is always very bitter. Ben Grimm is always bitter that yes, just like everybody else, he got these powers, but unlike everybody else, he can't walk around like a normal human ever. Sue can just walk around normal. Uh, Reed can walk around normal. He only stretches if he wants to. Johnny can walk around normal. Only flames on if he wants to. Re- uh, but Ben can never just have a day where he goes to the movies and is a normal guy. And I think at the end of the day, that is why he is always at his wits with Johnny because a Johnny's like 19 and doesn't respect this, this emotional aspect of Ben Grimm, but also Johnny is handsome and gets laid all the time. <laughs> so How do you he's think like, the thing shits? Um, Ooh, that's always man. been my question. Like, does he still that's have a dick? Always been your question. I don't think that says more about you than anybody else. It's a very Freudian episode. You know, it's implied to me. It's implied if he's if he does marry eventually marry Alicia Masters or he has a relationship with her, he must be functional in some way. But then I go, is she fucking a rock dick? Then, oof, Maybe I don't know. I, let's back to back to the shit <laughs> because I'm picturing man. Because either way, no matter how that happens. Or it could be like Reed, like they go through this in Ultimate FF, like Reed doesn't eat, like he doesn't need to eat, like his body is just like, because his organs wouldn't work. But the thing is known for eating, like those massive sandwiches he'll make in the kitchen and stuff like that. Like the thing likes to eat. It's to come out somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, I'm guessing due to this, (laughs) this is not what I planned to get into today, due to the the solid density of his rock type skin and the lack of flexibility there, I got to imagine... There's a lot of clean. There's going to be a lot of clean. You maybe, need like maybe one of those. He just hoses himself off. Maybe he doesn't even use the toilet. He just stands in the shower and lets it drop. And then he just has to like, you know, wash it off that way. Because how is he going to pull out toilet paper? That and doesn't he, a, he only has a couple of fingers. See, I don't think he has like five fingers. I think didn't a few fingers like fuse or something. So like I think he has like four or three. Is there a hero or something that's like the human torch, but with water? I know we have ice. Man, but is there a water version? Hydro Man is that? Do you make that up, or is that a real? Hydro Man's a Spider-Man villain. Okay, well, if I was the thing, I would hire Hydro Man to clean my ass. That's where I'm going with this, because I think that's what it would take. You, we need a a super powered, so to speak, hose type situation. So why not pull Hydro Man? out of a life of crime, get him a job working for the thing. He can afford it. He's got Baxter building money or whatever the fuck. Anyway, I, I agree. This has gone way too far. So let's get right back to the thing and the Johnny and Johnny storm, um, fighting each other. Um, but, um, Oh yeah. We, so <laughs> I forgot, I forgot about the actual story here. So yeah, there's like several pages of, of thing and Johnny fighting before as usual Reed eventually just like wraps himself around thing and thing just storms off and they do, they all really, I mean, as you said, Johnny, this is a dick move. This is really, this is like really to, this is not just like a normal prank. This is really a dick move. And he is getting scolded by uh, Sue who looks very sexy when she's scolding, but that's not neither here nor there uh, by both Sue and Reed. Um, before we, finally segue into what uh, Father Albert Vito has come to tell Johnny about, and that is to deliver this letter from this guy, uh, this George David Munson. So I'm going to go ahead and read this letter, dated May 19th, 1981. It is just addressed to Storm. And it says, Storm, by the time you get this... (laughs) 
help. I shouldn't be laughing because he is dead. By the time you get this, I'll be dead. Don't cry no tears for me. I don't know why he's Southern now. Everyone I don't know is Southern. Don't cry no tears for me, boy. I've been a louse all my life and now I'm paying my dues. But I want you should do me a favor. My old ma, I like how she, he does talk like he's from like the deep South, but didn't they grow up in like the Bronx? Whatever. But I want you to should do me a favor. My old ma never knowed what a crumb I've been. Not until I got framed for this killing what I didn't even do. So if you don't hold no grudge from high school, see if you can clear my name. Not for me, for my ma. So this this guy, who we will find out very soon, and when we get some flashbacks here, uh, really, the, like literally the next panel, he's like George David David George Munson. I don't even remember that guy. Oh, da- Georgie boy. This guy used to pick on Johnny Storm. This guy used to beat up little Johnny Storm and fuck with him. So, decades later, this guy is framed for murder. I guess it's not decades later because in this comic, you know, Johnny is supposed to be in his in his you know in his twenties. I guess so. Maybe a decade later, this guy is framed for murder, and he says, "You know what? Who is the best person to solve this crime?" An actual private eye? Um, anyone that's investigated anything ever? Or how about the guy that I used to beat up that now can turn into a giant flying fireball? Remzo, what do you think about Georgie's choice of, uh, of detective here? He never seemed that bright to begin with. But Johnny's not the worst you could do. There's could just do like worse. a dozen other superheroes you could randomly reach out to. Yeah, there's some that actually have like private investigated. I would go like Daredevil. I, I guess it's the personal connection, but it's not like they were friends. Like he, the, it's the bully choosing the guy he bullied around to posthumously investigate the reason that he was in jail, which he apparently didn't even think to write this letter. Either he got turbo turbocharged through uh, through death row, or he sat on this idea for years and finally said, "You know, you know who I'm going to write to? That old Johnny Storm." Anyway. That's what happens. That is the entire plot of the, of this uh, issue of Fantastic Four. And I, I just really like, I always liked when you would have some ongoing storyline in a comic. And then I don't know if the term I'm looking for is filler issue. Maybe it is, but maybe like a side story. It's not really filler necessarily, but when you just get an issue that, that, breaks you out of the normal story. It focuses on one character and you just get like a story that's sort of not really relevant to the rest of the story. It's called a development story when you, when you focus on somebody like this, because in entourage books, you don't often get a lot of time to develop characters. Now, unlike other entourage books, like the Avengers, Captain America had a book. Iron Man had a book. Thor had a book. Everyone had a book except um, you know, in the Fantastic Four, where other than the thing who would get one, I think, uh, right after the first Secret War, the Human Torch never got much of a time on his own. And, you know, during the 90s, we see that um, because the books center so much on Reed being the source of all the problems, I would say, uh, you know, you get a lot of development on Thing, you get a lot of development on the Invisible Woman, you get a lot of development on the Human Torch. So, I mean, I think comics like this are very necessary sometimes. Indeed. Well, Johnny thinks that this is a necessary tale because he has decided to take on this task for no real reason other than I always suck. I always was a sucker for a good sob story, father. So Johnny, despite having no no positive memories of this person other than getting beat up and humiliated, and despite having no background or or anything in, involving uh, investigation, has decided to take on this case. So we now get. Johnny Storm, private eye on the case, and he first thing he does is grab one of these little, <laughs> these absurd little fantastic car boxes. Which really, it doesn't even look like they have seatbelts in these things. He's just flying a box around New York City with um, with very little concern, and he ends up going to the police station. And you know, he's like, "Hey, police station, uh, I'm Johnny Storm. Can I come in and look at records?" And they're like, "Well, no, that's not really that's not really how this works. Can we see some ID?" And instead of showing them ID, he, his flames are his ID. He just starts making. Fl- flames and they're like and that works they're like oh yeah i guess you are johnny storm because you can make flame this is dangerous man this is a world of fucking scrolls and i'm pretty sure there are villains that can replicate powers like i think you actually should ask for the id i thought enough the idea would have helped that much more if uh now if we're talking about shape-shifting and scrolls and this sort of thing yeah nonetheless it all worked out and uh, johnny does dig up the files 
of this murder at the police station. So, I mean, he is full on uh, private investigator here. And we kind of get like a little noir style flashback here in black and white as Johnny sees. Well, he sees what happened to Georgie from the perspective of what he's reading in the file. So Georgie is at the store robbing it. Uh, this guy, the store owner walks in on him. Georgie kills him. Georgie run, runs away. Georgie gets arrested by the cops. Georgie gets put to death. That's, you know, that, that's the standard uh, cop version of the story. And, and Johnny's just sitting back thinking without any training whatsoever. Hmm. What could be going on here? There's no gloves. There's fingerprints all over the murder weapon. And he couldn't have had any more eyewitnesses to his escape if he'd had the whole thing catered. Yup, it's just dumb enough to have been our old pal Georgie. But there's one detail that troubles me. So everything seems to be on the up and up. Like, it seems like this guy just robbed this fucking store and killed a guy. But Johnny suspects something else is amiss. It's the silencer, he says. The silencer that bothers me, Sergeant. Sergeant, he's talking to the cop here. Munson was dumb enough to pull the crime, but a silencer is just too subtle. And the cop's like, yeah, I know what you mean. It bugged me all the time. But your boy Munson, he was just some transient. As near as we can figure, he'd only been in town a few days. No one knew him well enough to say if he was smart. So he's only been in town a few days, but he went to school with Johnny Storm. I'm not going to worry about it too much more. Tell you something else. That bugged me. He admitted to the robbery, but not the killing. That never made sense to me. So Johnny has his suspicions, his share of suspicions uh, that... Even though it seems that this guy was robbing a store, was going to kill somebody, and uh, for every reason we have to believe he's guilty other than this note, it's enough to keep his interest. And so he goes and visits this store, uh, and you know everything's kind of normal. He's like, hey, I am Johnny Storm. <laughs> and, he's, and this guy's all like, oh my God, the human George. By the way, I love Johnny's 80s outfit. Uh, light green shirt tucked in nicely to bright green pants. <laughs> what do you think of Johnny's outfit, Remzo? I can you know, picture you in this. I, I, it's stylish. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely eighty-one stylish. Like I think you would legit be complimented on your style if you were wearing this in nineteen eighty-one. Some things age better than others. Yes, but you know, Johnny goes ahead and he he says, you know, can I, hey, I'm Johnny Johnny Storm. Could you, you mind if I just have a little look around here? And the guy kind of lets him look around at first, um, but like literally the guy says he can look around, but the first room that Johnny goes into, the guy's like, hey, that room's for employees only. I'm like, all right, well, you did just say he could go back there. So whatever. Uh, and Johnny's like, well, you said I could, as I'm saying, he says, you said I could look around. It's like, well, I didn't say you could go poking your nose where I don't belong. Who are you anyway? Um, he's like, which is weird because they literally just had a conversation about how he's the human torch, um, like in one panel earlier, he's the fucking human torch. And now he's saying, well, I don't think you're the human torch. I think you're a Snoopy, a Snoopy cop, which is kind of what I was saying earlier. He could be anybody. You know, this is a world of shapeshifters, of scrawls. You got to be careful. So I, I got to say, I, I kind of do understand this uh, this nice store owner's uh, concern that maybe he's not the real human torch. But once again, Johnny shows his ID and his ID is that he can flame the fuck on. So he, he flames on and he basically like this is not the first time that, that he does this. Um, and this guy's look like this guy's like, look, dude, you you, you can't, you gotta get out of here. You're gonna scare my customers. You're you're lighting things on fire. Like I'm gonna call the cops. And Johnny's like, shit. And this is like an all in a thought balloon. He's like, Johnny actually says blast. Like he's some uh, an '80s cartoon villain. Blast. He's got me dead to rights. I had no business flaming on with all the flammable booze around. He's at a bar, by the way. Uh, and I have no official jurisdiction. If he does call a cop, he'd be within his rights to charge me with pu- public mischief. So despite his instincts to blow this place up and fucking burn this man alive. Johnny thinks the better of things and decides he is going to uh, fly off and, uh, you know, regroup and consider some other options here. So what do you think so far, Remzo, of Johnny's first foray? Young Johnny Storm, who thus far is really just known for shooting flames at people and banging chicks, his first foray into becoming a private eye for reasons still not quite understood. This is like if Kanye West became a private eye. Just kind of go, just kind of goes in everywhere, saying, "You know who I am," and they're like, "No." You take my money. Yeah, that's my Kanye West. Even <laughs> that's the best I could do. Well, this is not Kanye West, Private Eye. It is Johnny Storm, Private Eye, and uh, it is only later that night that he decides. To return to, or no, I guess he was following this guy, this store owner guy, um, who goes, now we, we got some thought balloons here, so we know that this store owner guy is actually working for a guy known only as H, and he's like, shit, this H guy, he's going to be really pissed that he's calling, 
But so he so he's going to this phone booth, and as he's calling this H, Johnny Storm, who's been following him, flaming around town, flying, uh, you know, flying, flamingly flying around town, and and uh, watching this guy burst into the phone booth, and scares him off and as this guy's running away he is trying to light the phone number on fire because that's how scared he is of johnny finding out who this mr h could be and this is when we get like this is like most people take johnny storm's powers for granted they just think he's a guy that shoots fireballs or maybe he does the nova burst or whatever he has very very uh specific ways that he can control his flames to the point Johnny actually says that this is while he's flying, while he's flamed on, uh, he can actually control the flames of this dude's lighter to prevent him from burning the phone number as uh, as Johnny is as Johnny is flying and chasing him. What do you think of Johnny's ability to control his flame powers here? I think it's less about Johnny. It's more it's more of a John Byrne type of thing. I mean, John Byrne is a guy that would reinvent Superman's powers. He he understands, Mm -hmm. you know, other characters who can control energy like a Green Lantern. So him coming over to Marvel just isn't a great opportunity for John Byrne style stories like this one. It's also an opportunity for you know, us to see how he plays with these characters uh, essentially. And with him using um, Johnny to also manipulate any type of flame around him, that that's something I'll, I don't think any other writer would have messed with because it probably would have brought on too many, too many questions. Like, you know, we've got the, the X-Men brotherhood of evil mutant guy, Pyro Pyro doesn't have fire powers necessarily. That's why he has to walk around with a, with a lighter or with a flamethrower because all Pyro can do is control already existing flames and stuff. So for, for Johnny storm to not only be able to generate fire, but to do all that, yeah, I mean, it just kind of shows that, um, you know, we can always find new ways to make old characters seem even more interesting. Yeah, I'm glad you brought in the John Byrne uh, aspect of this, because that, that really is a, a John Byrne staple. He has a, a knack for taking characters whose powers we seemingly know in some way, shape or form. But it's not like he necessarily retcons them is that he, he really just defines them further. And he puts a lot of thought into how powers can be used. And, you know, so whereas you might think of a certain character on a very sur- surface level way, Superman strong, Superman flies, Johnny Storm shoot flames, John Byrne will come up with ways that really just expand on our knowledge of how the the character can use the power as opposed to to rewriting it as opposed to like a retcon kind of thing so i I think that is very much uh, a john Byrne staple um and as we continue here johnny does one of his classic his classic flame cages where he builds a little a little uh a cage out of flames to sort of contain someone for a minute here um and in this case, this is a, just another display uh, again of the powers and how how Johnny can uh, you know very in very intentionally use his flame power powers. I, I really did like like in this scene here that oh no this is right it's not it's not the scene it's it's right in the next scene I think yeah. So Johnny gets a tip from uh, this one guy and ends up going to this warehouse where he busts up this whole, you know, poker game. Uh, This is before he gets even more info about uh, where he can actually find this Mr. H. But in this other scene in the warehouse, um, this is where Johnny basically basically threatens to burn this guy alive and pretty much just says, well, who's ever going to know? Like, like I could, this, this is just a mob criminal. Like I could just burn this guy alive right now and no one would ever know, but he doesn't do it. But I did, I do find it interesting. And maybe this is more of sort of the way John Byrne looks into not just the powers of certain characters, but, but how they think. And uh, that is as a staple of John Byrne that we get a lot of inner monologue and we get a lot of not just seeing just what's on the surface, but what is going on in the character's mind. And I, I, I wrote it down in a comedic way, but it is sort of like you talked about this as a sort of a, a character development issue. It does help us get into the mind of Johnny storm. And like, look, we got to remember, this is like a kid in his early twenties. He's probably not, not to, uh, you know, I'm going to say he's a bit of a hothead, not to use a bad pun here, but he is a bit of a hothead. And, uh, but this might be how, like, yeah, a kid would be thinking who just got these powers, I guess, maybe in the context of this still just a couple of years ago and dealing with these fucking scumbags, you know, these pieces of shit. Why shouldn't he just fucking burn these assholes alive? Now, that's not what really we should be. Uh, this is the Fantastic here. Four, Mark. This isn't the boys. But imagine having this power. I'm sorry. I mean, th- th- you would have those moments where you think, <laughs> Why am I dealing with this asshole? Why don't I just burn him alive? So I, 
I laughed at it, but I, I don't think it was necessarily it's a serious meant to moment. Be comedic. Yeah, it's a ser- it is a serious moment where Johnny really, you know, considers whether he should, <laughs> should burn someone alive. Uh, but what I really like is that too. When he's flying off, he's like, "Ah, oh, few." Like, you, we do see like kind of inside the mind of Johnny here, inside his conscious. He says, "Oh, thank God, thank God that guy told me because you know I, I I didn't want to have to call my bluff, um, you know, because I because I was bluffing." And but I, but like the very next sentence, he's like. Man, I would, and I would have hate to have to show him I wasn't bluffing. <laughs> so, it's like, so it's like at the same time he says he's bluffing, he's also like, oh, sure would be a shame if I did have to burn him alive. So we'll never know since we didn't get pushed that far here. Uh, if Johnny really would have gone ahead and burned him, burned this guy alive. Um, but he does now have the hot tip. He knows to go to uh, this this penthouse where he finds this Mister H. And who is Mister H? Remzo. It's been a while since I've. I've asked you, Mr. H is a villain by the name of Hammerhead. Remzo, what can you tell me about the villain known as Hammerhead? Hammerhead is a former mafia enforcer who was shot in the head and left for dead after a robbery gone wrong. After that, he went ahead and met up with the tinker who gave him a surgery to basically put a steel plate in his head and basically keep him alive. So not only does it keep him alive, but he also uses his incredibly strong steel skull to go ahead and bash the shit out of other superheroes. But he doesn't just have a head that can go ahead and smash Spider-Man into walls and stuff like that, but he's also an incredibly violent criminal. In several um, in several arcs, he has actually put the kingpin up on notice as he's been able to go ahead and bring over the Magia, um, several other crime families in New York and stuff like that. He's often underestimated, but kingpin is what you get if you get the godfather and give him some type of powers it's a crazy crazy type of story when he's involved that was literally more than i've ever known about hammerhead in my entire 30 years of reading comics in less than a minute well done remzo that is hammerhead and we are going to learn a little bit more about this i guess ongoing relationship that he has with the tinkerer here uh because as we quickly find out when johnny goes to confront hammerhead johnny's not too worried because he's like whatever man it's just this fucking hammerhead guy um and supposedly this hammerhead died um and died in a helicopter crash um in spider amazing spider-man because this is back when we still got the little asterisks the editor's notes uh in amazing spider-man 157 to 159 but don't worry, Remzo. We got an explanation for for why he didn't actually die in that crash. Crash. The explanation is, Hammerhead, don't die that easy, punk. <laughs> Hammerhead, That's don't our play, explanation. Bitch. So why didn't Hammerhead die, Remzo? Because we know why. Because because comics, comics and also because exoskeleton. exoskeleton yes, <laughs> both answers are technically acceptable. Um, now Johnny is confronting this Hammerhead guy, and he's like, you know. Yeah, I'm just here to clear the name of this George David Munson and uh, Hammerhead's like, I don't know, no fucking David Munson guy. I don't know what the hell you're talking about, but thank you for giving me a minute to ignite this booby trap because he did have, he was very prepared for not just some super powered person to come in, but specifically it seems for the human torch to come in to his penthouse here because, you know, he has these little traps that he's those little things that come out and, and sort of trap Johnny for a second. He quickly burns through those, but then we find out that uh, maybe it's just a coincidence, but his penthouse has been sealed. So the longer Johnny is using his powers eventually because he runs on flames, um, he runs on oxygen. So eventually he's going to run out of oxygen. And on top of that, Johnny's noticing something he never knew about hammerhead. He's, strangely very strong he's throwing desks at him he's pounding him against the wall and he's like from what i heard like hammerhead just is a normal guy i guess with like a fucking plate in his head apparently but he is not supposed to be super strong so he's kind of like trying to figure out uh, exactly what's going on here but uh for a minute here i mean johnny in the beginning of the scene very much not worried about hammerhead but by the end of this he he's kind of you know his overconfidence has gotten to him and hammerhead is getting the best of him when he realizes that nope It's not that Hammerhead suddenly got powers or anything like that. It's that he is wearing a strength magnifying exoskeleton complete. This is my favorite part. Complete with flesh colored gloves. That's how you didn't see the exoskeleton because he had flesh colored gloves. So that Johnny just saw normal hands here and Hammerhead just looks ridiculous. So basically Johnny suspects that he has some help. So he burns his bathrobe or whatever the fuck he's wearing off so that he can see the exoskeleton. So now the gig is up in a way here. Like Johnny knows he's just getting his powers from this exoskeleton, but it doesn't change the fact that the guy is a lot stronger. So Johnny just tries to like 
push him out of the penthouse. Oh, with his flames. They're flying. They're fighting on the roof. But Johnny still gets knocked in the skull, gets knocked in the stomach. I mean, he is pretty much getting his ass handed to him still uh, by Hammerhead here. But finally, Johnny has a revelation. He realizes there must be a power source here. Um, so Johnny just grabs this battery pack, I guess, on the back of uh, uh, Hammerhead's exoskeleton. It melts it. He loses his powers. And this, this exoskeleton uh, goes from a sort of a, a very helpful device to just basically a, a heavy weight holding him down. And he is soundly defeated by Johnny Storm. But, but let's not forget the whole reason Johnny is doing this in the first place is to clear the name of George David Munson. So he goes and starts asking Hammerhead about him. Who's still like, I don't even fucking care about this guy or know about this guy, whatever dude. And Hammerhead jumps off the roof and is suddenly gone. Like, like Johnny goes to find him, goes and flames down into the crowd. There is just no evidence of this Hammerhead anywhere. So as villains often do, Hammerhead somehow got away. Uh, the explanation we got for this one is, this is Johnny's explanation. He's like, oh, well, he's, uh, you know, he's always tangling with Spider-Man. So he probably thought of something. <laughs> that was the explanation for how Hammerhead just disappeared. So we'll never, I guess we'll never really know. Um, how that all went down. Um, the real lesson here though, as I mentioned, I think as, cause you did mention as a, it's a sort of a development, uh, issue almost said it um johnny originally made fun of and he even has this sort of self-reflection here johnny made fun of hammerhead he was so overconfident but it was johnny's own overconfidence that almost cost him the day it was only when he sort of you know had that revelation and, and used his brain not just his brawn not just his flames that he was able to defeat hammerhead but Lest we forget our A storyline here, Johnny is still supposed to be investigating this fucking thing with this guy, and he never gets to that at the end. The, the closest we get is this uh, This police chief is, is, makes a reference to uh, Daredevil recently busting the Kingpin secret records, so he's like, I'll give you all of the Kingpin's records, and you know maybe we'll find something from there. Um, so that seemingly ends our tale, but... Fret not, Remzo. We have an epilogue page, so don't worry. We are going to update you on uh, on the situation. And this is one month later, and we go to a graveyard, and we see Johnny Storm is meeting with a woman, and this is apparently George David Munson's mother. And he says, "Your boy George, you know, he was he was just a fall guy." So I guess these, I guess there is a tie in here. I guess I guess these records kind of confirmed what Johnny was thinking about about this guy George that he was just taking a fall for this thing. He says, "Georgie was a fall guy. That's all. The old geezer who ran the liquor store was he was just quote unquote laundering money for the Magia. They're this uh, this crime family that was uh, that was cavorting uh, with Hammerhead earlier. And he said Hammerhead found out he was also skimming a few thousand bucks a year for himself. So Hammerhead sent one of his goons." a guy named Morris Vance to off the old guy. So Vance saw an opportunity to set himself up as the new owner. So he picked out your son. This is, see if you can follow this with me. Your son, Georgie, apparently at random, he struck up a friendship with him and detailed his plan to rob the liquor store. So let's make sure we got this right. This guy, Hammerhead, was working with this guy, Vance, to rob this store. The guy, Vance, wanted to take ownership of the store from the owner, so he developed a friendship with this George Munson who was already going to rob this store. That was already this guy's plan. And he said, well, I'm just going to piggyback on this guy's robbery. So basically George Munson does rob the store, does beat the shit out of the owner of the store. And then this guy Vance shows up, piggybacks off him. He kills the owner of the store because he wants to own the store. And Georgie takes the rap for it. So at the end of the day, Georgie was a criminal and he did beat the shit out of this guy. But and I guess the only him. thing, the only, he didn't kill him. But I mean, if you beat someone, you punch someone in the face, you could kill someone. I mean, very easily. So he could have killed the guy. So at the end of the day, you know, Johnny's trying to explain this, how Georgie was set up. And this lady's like, oh, no, no, you know, that's okay, Mr. Torch. Uh, you know, I know that he was a bad boy, my Georgie. He, he was from, I knew about all those other things he'd done. Frankly, he got what he deserved. Damn. <laughs> and Johnny's like, Johnny's like, wait a minute. You mean you you knew like all this time you knew that he was a crook and a murderer? And she's like, you know, listen, I may just be an ignorant old immigrant lady, but stupid I ain't. I always knew he'd come to no good. A mother always knows. And she's like, oh my god, I, I'm so sorry. I, I wanted you to I wanted you to believe that George wasn't a murderer. I mean, I I went digging through all these records. I went to this warehouse. I threatened these guy. I threatened to burn this guy alive. I fought the fucking hammerhead. <laughs> I did I did all this so that you could think he was and then and then she says you know that's because you're the kind of boy 
any mother could get be proud of because you are a hero, Johnny. So at the end of the day, Johnny goes through all of this shit to try to clear this fucking guy's name who to professes innocence to Johnny when in reality, yes, this guy did not kill who he was accused of killing, but he did rob a store. He did beat him up and he has murdered other people, which his mom is well aware of. So therefore his mom is not even sweating the fact that the guy was, the guy was killed in death row. In fact, she seems pretty happy about it. I guess the moral of the story is she, would have been better if she had a son like Johnny who is actually just trying to do the right thing, even though he does occasionally dabble with thoughts of burning people alive to get answers from them. Uh, Nonetheless, that does conclude this very special episode of Fantastic Four featuring Johnny Storm, Private Eye, Remzo. Take it away. I've talked enough. What are your thoughts? Uh, This this hits (laughs) two home runs for me. One, this is great for anyone who's a Fantastic Four fan. But two, this is also just a really great standalone story. In fact, I have a physical copy of this that came inside. Yeah, no, I I I do. It's It's a it's a it's a reprint because. Uh, Marvel Legends, they used to put comic books in the back of their action figures. So you could go ahead and get an action figure and a comic book. So I have a Human Torch action figure based off the design of this Johnny Storm from this issue. And it came with what? this comic. With the green pants with or the, no? <laughs> uh, no, him, him in his full flame form. So wow. so I had that. Um, you know, I, And that was actually, I think, the first Fantastic Four comic I ever owned and read. Um, it wouldn't be until like a decade later that I would start being really serious about collecting and really serious about learning these characters. But that, that's when I got it in like 1998, 1999. And, um, you know, it's, it's a great first kickoff for anybody. Um, it, it hits both of that. It's also just a really, uh, it's a serious story that doesn't take away the humor. John Byrne is really good at that. He really respects the characters while diving more into who they are as people. And this isn't what I would typically think of as a Fantastic Four story, nonetheless, a Human Torch story. So, I mean, it's just, it's really well done. It's really well written. The dialogue and the thoughts between characters is great. I'm giving the story a 4.5. Uh, wow! Yeah the the artwork <laughs> the artwork is is quintessential. I mean, when I think of the Fantastic Four, I'm thinking them uh, back in this era, late uh, you know uh, late seventies, early eighties. So I mean, with that alone, it, it's where you get so much action. It's where you get so many new things, such as what the inside of the Baxter Building looks like. Uh, you know, you get Hammerhead, those cool action scenes and everything, but it doesn't take away from the fact that everyone still looks pretty human and stuff like that. Uh, I'm gonna give the artwork a four. So I'm gonna give this an 8.5 out of 10 damn boy that is a very high rating but honestly i'm not far behind you i'm I'm gonna be a little further behind you but not very i'm gonna give the writing a four i can't go 4.5 i can't i could i I I love john byrne i mean his his man of steel limited series which is the quintessential really the quintessential superman origin is is fantastic i loved him on all the other stuff i mean he i i can i feel weird criticizing uh john byrne I think my only uh, criticism, I think there, there's too much dialogue. There's too much inner dialogue. There's a, a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of reading throughout this book, but it's only one issue too. So, I mean, it's like, I can't get too mad. It's just a preference thing, I guess. Exactly. No. And, and I mean, you nailed it in the beginning. This is like a character development issue. And yeah, if like, if every issue of a series was like this, I probably wouldn't ever like that series. But when you have a book, like I think a lot of it is to the contrast to what's normally going on in the fantastic four um, there. I think right before this, they had a whole storyline with Dr. Doom right after this, they're going and fighting ego, the living planet. I mean, these guys are doing like high level cosmic shit. So when we scale things back down to the street level and kind of focus on one character, it does really serve that purpose of fleshing out those characters a lot more, especially because we also got uh, a, little taste of what we, we, I mean, we get this constantly in the fantastic four of his relationship with Ben Grimm and, um, kind of, you know, a lot of how that's related to how they, they portray themselves in the real world. And, you know, even in this issue, like Johnny's doing things Ben can never get away with in the real world. Like, I mean, I mean, Ben can never get the kind of access to places that Johnny can just by being young, charming looking Johnny storm who could also threaten people with fire when he wants to. Um, but this was a story where he didn't get what he wanted either. There is, I mean, it reaches a conclusion and, but it's, it's not a clean conclusion. And throughout the whole book, it's him maturing. That is, in all seriousness, like one thing I really like about the writing here. I'm giving the writing a four, by the way. Uh, so I, I agree, it's very good. I mean, this is a John Byrne character-driven comic. It has just the right amount of like 
silliness, but the silliness is also tied to like something kind of serious. I mean, I mean, yeah, I like I laugh when I first find out that Georgie wasn't the good guy. And like, I, cause I'm just expecting the standard storyline here where of course we're going to find out he was a great guy all along. And, uh, you know, there was a mistake or, he you know, he was screwed over. Yeah. Or, and, and it turns out, no, he's not a good guy. He is a scummy guy, but that doesn't change that Johnny still did the right thing trying to get to the bottom of this thing for someone that he really had no reason to want to help. This is a guy that beat him up in high school that made fun of him. He had no reason to want to help this guy, but Johnny did it just because he was because he because like this because like George's mom said because he's doing a heroic thing and a heroic thing is not necessarily the thing you're going to get credit for it's just doing the right thing because it's the right thing Johnny had no reason to be doing any of this um, and even in the end we find out there was no good reason to be defending this Georgie guy his own fucking mom doesn't even defend him but nonetheless that is what makes this a sort of character defining moment for Johnny I think I talked myself up on this but I'm still going to give it a four I think a four is, is a very good uh, written score I'm going to be with you on the art I mean does the art blow me away is it spectacular no but it does what it's supposed to do it shows me every single character every emotion that i need to see in classic clear 80s john byrne form and not every single panel of art needs to be you know a todd mcfarlane splash page sometimes you just need good straightforward art that is consistent in this case for years and years and years of this book uh, so i'm going to give the art a four as well i'm going to give it an eight myself so between the two of us we got an X xpc 16.5 out of hands. Pretty darn good Pretty for a random old comic good. from the 80s. Yeah. Well, Remzo, I had a blast reading this, and this is just a preview of eventually... I have, I'm not setting any timeline here. It's a really long run. Eventually, I will get th- through uh, the John Byrne Fantastic Four run and give you my thoughts on the entire run over behind the paywall. Patreon.com slash secondprintpod. And uh, what else, Remzo? We got the newsroom coming on Friday. Again, we're going to be looking at some Marvel and DC books upcoming for the month of November. A little sneak preview. We're going to talk about what is exciting and not so exciting for us um, on that end. Uh, What else, Remzo? Folks, I mean, we can keep, you know, blabbering your ears off. But at the end of the day, if you want all of this audible goodness from both of us and more, it's patreon.com slash secondprintpod. Send money. Yeah. Until ne- <laughs> Feed us. And until next time. Until yes. next time, there's one thing you can do, always and forever, constantly true. It's read comics and change the world. Change that world, baby. Good night, America. Adios. Adios.